1: KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM.
0: Medical scientists worldwide are encouraging people to eat more fish. Most American diets are low in cold water fish that are abundant in important omega-3 oils. DHA and EPA are the vital components of fish oil that provide healthy benefits. Not only are they crucial for brain and vision development, they're very important for cardiovascular health. Carlson, America's leading Norwegian fish oil brand, specializes in both great tasting soft gels that are easy to swallow and fish oil liquids that don't taste fishy. That's right carlson provides the most extensive line of fish oils to meet all your needs you can take carlson fish oils with confidence for carlson fish oils are tested for purity potency and freshness ask for carlson norwegian fish oils today that's right ask for carlson norwegian fish oils today
1: How you doing, this is Gary Garver. In today's society, the majority of people are not getting enough sleep. I know I'm not. If you're like me and having problems getting a good night's rest, whether it's health or stress-related, I have a solution for you, South Pacific Sleep Lab. South Pacific Sleep Lab will do an evaluation of your sleep pattern and will provide a comprehensive study so you can start getting a restful, peaceful night of sleep. They take all types of insurance, which will cover your cost of the evaluation, and they will even provide transportation to their offices at no cost to you. For more information, contact Tony at 310-999-1887. That's 310-999-1887. Tony even stays awake all night, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, so you can sleep better and rest easy. South Pacific Sleep Lab. Start feeling better and getting a great night of sleep today.
0: 10.50
1: a.m. Don't forget that number. And for you young people who got here by accidentally fat-fingering your FM band selector, we're an AM radio station, and AM
0: refers to more than just the time of day.
1: This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Legacyfoodstorage.com
2: New U.S. sanctions on Iran took effect. Today, after President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the international nuclear deal.
3: The sanctions targeted shipping, financial, and energy sectors, all key to the country's
4: already struggling economy. The bombs, which the FBI referred to as improvised explosive
3: devices, were sent to the FBI's bomb laboratory in Quantico, Virginia.
1: We're in Mexico again tonight as thousands of migrants try to find a faster way to the U.S. border.
0: The White House says it's now getting help from the Mexican. Breaking news out of Pittsburgh. The man accused in the shooting at the uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh is pleading not
1: guilty. And he also wants a jury trial see he's facing a 44-pound So,
3: In the final seconds before the Boeing 737 MAX crashed into the water, it was traveling at more than 500 kilometers an hour. All 189 people on board were killed.
1: You've now entered the house of mystery.
3: Crime, conspiracy, history, and science.
1: With your hosts, Al Warren, Mike Brown,
3: Julie Sav, Michael Butterfield,
1: Dr. Joseph Ucinski, and Michael Hawley.
3: Heard on KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles.
1: 102.3 FM Riverside.
3: And 1050 AM Palm Springs.
5: back into the House of uh, Mystery, <laughs> and I'm your host today, uh, Al Warren, as most days, and uh, Martini Maker is here. <laughs> I am right here. Thanks, so. <laughs> Al. He's just getting the cocktails ready. We're going to need them. We're, we're talking to a guy from Canada, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's, he's written some horror. Um, uh, the book we're focusing on will be Shelter for the Damned. And the the guest is the author, Mike Thorne. Thank you for being here, Mike.
2: Thanks so much for having me, guys. Do yeah. I get one of those martinis, too? Is there any way we can,
5: <laughs> yeah know, that happen? <laughs> so or you're, we'd love to, but you're on lockdown, so. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's, yeah, you know, it's Easter lockdown. It's all over. How, you know, how is that for a horror writer like you? You know, when you get into this, this last year year and a bit where you know all the crazy stuff going on i guess most of it's across the border the craziness but um still with the shutdown and the pandemic and people dying and all this sort of stuff does that sort of seep into your writing
2: it it has in some ways i mean to be honest for a large part of the lockdown i was struggling with writer's block in a big way um so having deadlines for anthology invites was a blessing because then I, you know, I had to get the the words in. Um, I wrote a recent story that's going to be the first piece in my collection, Peel Back and See, which comes out in the fall, and that one kind of uses the pandemic as a background or as an environment for
5: the piece. So, hmm. do you think that's good?
2: Um. I think so. I mean, I wouldn't want to write uh, a COVID zombie story or something like that. I think that would be pretty tacky. But in this case, it just became a kind of organic backdrop because um, I try to write as much as I can through contemporary settings and feelings. Um, So in that case, it felt it felt right.
5: Yeah, it's just it's hard to to, isn't it kind of hard to tell how it's going to turn out? That's kind of a problem.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I certainly wouldn't want to set out to write a COVID story or something. It, 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 it wasn't at the forefront of the piece. It just was the situation within which the protagonist found himself, because that's where I am. So I, I'm finding I'm writing a lot of stories with people being absorbed into screens or images and things like that, because... You know, I'm not getting the regular social contact I would in a pre-pandemic world.
5: That's it's interesting. So you think it's the social contact that that actually influences maybe even the lack of it is what kind of gives you a block?
2: I think it's part of it. I mean, I'm, I'm very introverted and very insular, but there's something about that sudden and abrupt severing of most social ties that seems to have affected me. I mean, I do Zoom hangouts with friends and and socially distanced hangouts every now and then. And I teach online, but just even teaching online, you're essentially, you feel like you're teaching into the void. Most of the students don't have their webcams on and getting people to engage is really difficult. So it's just shifting the whole paradigm of how I engage with the world you know?
5: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I understand totally. Um, I think most of us do, unless you don't think it's real. <laughs> 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 yeah. Then you're sort of living somewhere else and you sort of have different things going on around, right? It's, so it may be not affect you. But most of the writers we've talked to, um, which is surprising to me, most of them seem to have had no problem with this and in fact anything they've um, said they've they're able to write more. I'm like you, I, I tend it to, to get a lot of blocking going on.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've enjoyed the solitude. I feel like I'm reading a lot more. Um, But yeah, in terms of writing productivity, I do think there's been a bit of a dip. I'm finding my way back into it and there are workarounds, but it's definitely more work i think there's just this kind of lethargy that sets in with the sameness of every day um for me anyway
5: yeah well for me i just feel like it's forced so uh, you know some of the books i have contracted for for publishers i just i've just been going through the motions and doing it but i don't they don't mean as much to me which is uh so, so that doesn't mean don't buy them, people. It just, means <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just means I'm less in touch with them. How's that? Boy, I'm blowing it for myself here. Um, wow. So how did it start for you, 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 you uh, getting into this writing world? And, and, and I mean this in the, in the part of um, where you actually, wh- what was the, the one point when you actually felt, Confident enough to decide. Well, I can write and get something published.
2: Good question. I think those are two different questions. the The question about when when was I confident enough to write. I think I always had a kind of um, propensity to write. So I ever for as long as I can remember, I've always been writing. But in terms of submitting for publication, um, early in my undergrad. I was writing some pretty shoddy poetry, and I had the uh, youthful naivete to send some of that stuff out. Um, My first short story sale was not until 2015. I I sold a story called Long Man to an anthology called Creepy Campfire Stories for Grownups. And throughout my graduate degree, I wrote a ton of short fiction, and it became a kind of outlet for me to process a lot of the dread and anxiety I felt surrounding academic environments and just the contemporary state of things. Um, But interestingly, Shelter for the Damned, I wrote the first draft before any of my short fiction. I wrote most of the rough draft in my early 20s and then just reworked it substantially over time. So I kind of started backwards. I started with a novel and then, you know, dove into the short form.
5: Do do you have an outlook like, um, how do I say this? So when you're, when you're writing uh, a book, um, is there, is there something you want to get across to people uh, that isn't related to the story? I never
2: go into a piece with a certain message in mind. Um, Usually I think my concerns and my fears and, my interests will leak their way into the fiction organically. So in the case of Shelter for the Damned, for instance, as I continued reworking the novel, I noticed that the book was saying something about kind of prescriptive masculine conditioning and addiction, among other things. And, And then I tried to allow those ideas to breathe in later drafts. But I usually just start with either images or character or sometimes a scene, and then I, I just allow the thing to grow from that, from that germ.
5: So are you, do you write your scenes or your locations as characters themselves?
2: Sometimes. Um, in Shelter for the Damned, the entity that is known as the shack is is definitely a primary character, and it's the kind of object of conflict in the novel. Um and I'm I'm very heavily influenced by the Gothic tradition, so I'm interested in the ways in which setting and place can take a central role as character. So it depends on the on the the piece, but definitely uh, some of my work makes use of that.
5: Pretty interesting. I, I just wonder um, when you when you when you're putting together a story and characters, are you are you putting it together from your own experience, something that you've come across in your life, um, or is this completely out of the blue and made up?
2: All of my work is personal to some extent. The degree to which I abstract from my experiences and my memories varies a lot. Um, I have never been lured into the uh, trap of a cosmic entity that takes the form of a shack in a suburban field resulting in several murders and other hellish events. Thank you. You never know, <laughs> you never know. That's, that's not something that has happened yet. Uh, but you know, there are ways in which um, my novel Shelter for the Damned dr- does draw on my experiences. I mean, it's set in the suburbs in 2003. That's around the time I would have been Mark's age. Um, and I, I drew a little bit on my experiences and memories and then infected it with cosmic horror.
3: Do you find that you're a natural short story writer or more of a natural novelist?
2: I think short stories come easier for me, Um, but I enjoy both forms. I think it depends on what I want to do. I think part of the reason short stories are easier is because my natural technique is to – I guess you could use the term pants it, so I I don't tend to outline very much. So when I'm writing novels, that can be more of a headache because you're dealing with a lot more pages, a lot more characters. Um, So in terms of the editing process, it's a lot more cumbersome with novels. Whereas with short stories, the fixes are usually.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen The Bride and Groom? Sorry, we're here. We were getting
0: lucky in the limo when we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Less
2: of a nightmare. Um, but I like both forms, depending on the piece.
5: Hmm. You know, um, when, when you when you wrote Shelter of the Damned, um, you've got it centered around two teenagers, uh, if, if I understand that right. Um, those characters, where do you get them from? And I ask that in the sense of a lot of people that write that we talk to, um, you know, they, they describe their characters as their children or uh, they're, they're, they have a, a very unusual relationship with their characters. Uh, For someone like me that writes just, you know, uh, true crime or nonfiction. Um, What is it for a horror writer like you? There's
2: always a part of me in any character I write. So the protagonist of Shelter for the Damned um, was formed a lot on my memories of feeling like I didn't fit in. As an adolescent, like I didn't see any place for me in the social systems that were set out. So I looked at the environments and um, the frameworks in front of me, whether it be school or um, any kind of social system. I was just like, I don't see myself going anywhere. And I drew a lot on the anxiety and the anger that came from that um, feeling. And I just tried to to put myself back in that place as much as possible. The same is true for um, the other primary characters in the novel, Scott and Adam and Madeline, um, all teenagers, but they, they, they all come from some aspect of my teenage experience, my teenage memories. Although none of them is me, they'll have a fragment of me in them.
5: Sure, you tell us that now, but... <laughs> 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 uh but uh, you know the thing is there's 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 something that when you say uh, some of you a little of you is in the character or characters and 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 the story itself it's, it brings back something from a memory or or comes from a memory or whatever um but when you do that um because of what you're writing it's still you know it's dealing with emotion it's dealing with fear it's dealing with um A lot of feelings Um, so in a way I guess you're kind of um, making yourself vulnerable by writing about your own experiences like you're putting some of your own feelings that you had through something and sharing them does does that sort of does that sort of make you feel um, vulnerable when you actually put it out for the public to read
2: always yeah absolutely I think and my assumption is that most creative people feel that when they put their work out there in the world um, especially you know I, I think some some creative people say they don't read reviews I imagine most do so it, it's especially vulnerable uh, to be put in the position of reading negative reviews and things like that I mean they're just they're there and, and they're there for a reason um, But yeah, it's always extremely nerve wracking because actually one of the ways I frame my fiction is that it's not an attempt to offend the reader or assault the reader. I think some horror writers actually would describe their work that way. Mine is a kind of defensive process where I'm trying to ward off. The things that frighten me or exercise my demons, clean out my closet, so to speak. So, yeah, it's a super vulnerable position to be in. Absolutely.
5: So, you see, that's kind of comes back to the confidence part. So when you actually become a writer like you are and you start actually doing the job well, so to speak, because you have to put yourself into it and put yourself out there Um where does that confidence come from? Or what is it that allows you to do that?
2: I just have to lie to myself <laughs> and <laughs> shut <up. laughs> Cut out all the negative voices, uh, you know, try to put a stopper in the anxiety, the imposter syndrome, the depression, that's all stuff I have to battle with. But ultimately I think the thing is um, the only difference between someone who writes and makes something out of it and someone who doesn't is that the person who writes does it. So you just, at some point you have to find a way to shut out all of that noise and just do the work. Um, And that's a big challenge. I don't mean to understate how much of a challenge that is, but yeah, it's just, um, it's a matter of doing it. And for me, a big way of combating those negative mental forces is to be creatively productive. So it's, it's a kind of, um, I don't know, a weird circle or something like that.
5: Yeah. And it never goes away. I mean, I'm uh, 59 here and 20 books out, and I still have the same anxieties, the same imposter mm-hmm. syndrome that comes back, the same um, involvement with, with critics, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, as I did the very first book. So, um something to, to realize that it just never goes away. You're going to die unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: all part of the fun.
5: Yeah. So just so you know, don't think that it's going to get better. It's not. Uh, when that, that So when you go back to the, the very first things you've ever written you, that you've kept and you look at it, do, do you ever critique yourself or do you ever kind of think I would rather rewrite that?
2: Yeah, I, I try not to go back too much. I mean, I guess if I'm doing, like, a, a reading or a signing or something, then I'll go back through the work and and try to pinpoint what would make a good piece to read. Or if I'm collaborating with folks on, like, potential adaptations, when things like that come up, I'll look at the work. Um, but otherwise, I try not to. It's painful. I'm always like, why did I, why did I write it that way? Um, I just see the errors, you know?
5: Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, going back to anthologies, when um, you get an an anthology invite from an editor, do you find it easy or hard to uh, come up with a story for a prompt? And um, is that, um, I guess, do you find it, um, you know, enjoyable to write to a prompt?
2: I do, yeah. I It depends on the anthology. Different editors have different processes and things like that. I did um, a story for a tribute anthology to the Italian horror filmmaker Lucio Fulci, and those editors were incredibly involved, more than I've ever encountered in academic journals or otherwise. So they they would look at multiple drafts, and, and both editors would have suggestions and things like that. And that was, you know, that was fine. It was a different experience, Um But then I had another invite for um, an anthology dedicated to the theme of gluttony. And the editors were, you know, they were pretty, uh, I mean, they were committed, but they were hands off in the sense that they didn't look at drafts as I was going through it. Um, That one, I ended up writing three different pieces before I landed on something I was happy with. So it varies, I mean, It's interesting that that first story I mentioned, Long Man, that I sold to Creepy Campfire Stories for Grown Ups, when I initially submitted that piece, it was a fragment from a novel, and it had all this extra detail from the frame narrative of the novel. And the editor basically said, I don't care about any of that surrounding stuff. Can you just write us an origin story about this monstrous figure of the Long Man? So my first story was kind of writing to a prompt in a way. Um, yeah, different challenges for different assignments, I suppose.
5: Shelter for the Dam. So tell us, um, how would you describe that book?
2: I would describe it as a a pessimistic, suburban, coming-of-age novel with aspects of cosmic horror. Um, It's heavily influenced by two writers who wouldn't normally fall under the definition of horror, uh, Hubert Selby Jr. and Jim Thompson, Um, particularly the way those writers align their narratives with protagonists who are consumed by their own demons. So I became very interested in the possibility of writing a coming of age narrative that doesn't result in any kind of positive transformation. In fact, it's a decline. It's this kid who does not see any room or space for himself in this world that he's entering. And uh, it all goes to hell. You know, he's he he is damned
5: in a sense. Sounds like my story. <laughs> <laughs> getting getting my information out there. Um, so, what do you consider horror? Like, what's what's hor- horrific for you? I mean, the
2: things that tend to scare me are real-world threats, like the state of ecological catastrophe in the world, um, the fact that someone like Donald Trump can be elected president of the (laughs) United States, um, the awful things that human beings do to each other, the ways that negotiations of power, especially when money is involved, result in terrible things. um, That stuff scares me. Uh, I actually find horror books and films quite comforting, usually.
5: Um, you think that's because it's, it's not as real? And, and I mean, it's, it's just not as direct, like, you know, when you say Donald Trump gets in, that, that actually is happening, it's here, you know, and it, it, or it's happened, but, you know, or ecological or global warming or things like that, it's, it's just, it's tangible, it's something that is existing, you know, like the pandemic, whereas in the book, it, it's not so direct.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think the horror genre offers a way for us to process and engage with real-world horror. Um, I mean, primarily, I think what defines the horror genre is its self-defining affect. So it's the 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 project of horror is to horrify, just to define it as broadly as possible, and then within that. Um, affective framework. There are so many different possibilities and subgenres and approaches, um, but I think at the foundation, that's what it's about. Going
3: back to uh, cosmic horror, um, do you have any favorite um, uh, cosmic horror authors, and how have they influenced you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm influenced by the granddaddy, H.P. Lovecraft, in a major way. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he was probably the biggest influence on Shelter for the Damned in terms of the cosmic horror angle. But I was also um, inspired by people like William Hope Hodgson. Um, Algernon Blackwood, I would say, is more weird horror, but I think there are elements of cosmic horror in, in his fiction. Um, and Kathy Koja, her debut novel, The Cypher, I think, also draws on that tradition. Um, ditto for Stephen King. So, something like It, I think, um, has elements of cosmic horror in that. So those were the people who who consciously inspired this book in terms of cosmic horror.
5: What? What? Where else do you get your influences from other than um, some of those writers? Um, is is there just is there art, music, or? Um... Donald Trump like where do you get your, <laughs> your your influence from uh Donald Trump is
2: anything but inspirational to me um <laughs> yeah definitely like all everywhere you know music uh film is a huge one I'm I'm I've been writing film criticism for a long time as well so I'm heavily influenced by cinema um visual art um conversations daily news dreams memories. I just draw on everything. You, you kind of, as a writer, you train yourself to be a bit of a sponge and just soak up everything you can. Um, Shelter for the Dams definitely drew a lot on um, some suburban horror films and just films set in the suburbs. Like, I was heavily inspired by people like Wes Craven and John Carpenter, um, and also Larry Clark, who did films like Kids and Bully and Ken Park. Um, and some of the 1950s melodramas like Rebel Without a Cause, Tea and Sympathy. I just, I drew from everywhere. And and I, I, I also remember the way music I listened to in my youth made me feel. So I was listening to a lot of Alice Cooper, The Cure, Korn, Rob Zombie, things like that. Um, so I, I listened to some of that music when I was drafting the novel, too, to try and put me back in my adolescent headspace. <laughs>
3: Are you able to write with music on, or do you have a hard time? I know I have a hard time writing with uh, too, much, uh, too, too many lyrics or maybe too much of a beat. It seems to, I guess, drown out the voices in my head. <laughs> do, do you find you have um, a hard time with that, or uh, is it very easy for you to write with, with music on, loud music, anything like that?
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com/boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. Three percent match requires goal for one year. From first match, must keep IRA for five years. Match
2: on transfer subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Usually, I'll, I'll listen to something where the lyrics are either non-existent or indecipherable. So I'll, I'll either listen to ambient and drone and classical, like Brian Eno or Eric Satie, or um, or I'll listen to like death metal or grind core like carcass or obituary where you can't you can't understand <laughs> what they're saying uh, but yeah when i'm when i'm editing that's when i feel like i need to be really zoned in and surgical so i usually edit in silence but i'll, I'll write with music on sometimes
5: yeah and, and for the voices in your head there's medication dave <laughs> 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 there, there is you know it's funny because i i i will have um the radio on the tv on Music going, and my dog's running around, and I'll be writing. Wow. Yeah. So I, I like to have all that. But I'm in that, um, you know, uh, it's a spectrum fog all the time, right? So, <laughs> 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 you know, being that way, it just doesn't, uh, the, the world moves around me. So it doesn't matter. It's kind of strange. <laughs> um, so where do you want to go with your writing?
2: I mean I'm, I'm interested in exploring writing for film um i've recently become friends with uh jamie blanks who directed the films urban legend and valentine and he and i are kind of batting around some ideas that really excites me um i'd like to write another novel i'm neck deep in a novel right now and i Am constantly uh, murmuring incantations to the old ones in hopes that I will see my way out of it alive. Um, yeah, and, and 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 I'd like to continue short fiction as well and film criticism. Just just being able to keep doing it in some capacity—that's that's my goal, you know.
5: Hmm. It's pretty pretty interesting world, I'll tell you. Um, now, do you have a, a website of your own that you promote yourself in?
2: Yeah. Uh, my website is com. I'm also on Twitter at MikeThorneWrites. I'm on Instagram at MikeThorneWrites as well. Um, I'm on Goodreads, Letterboxd, Facebook. I'm all over this, uh, this strange world we refer to as the internet. want mm. to find me.
5: Tinder. Grinder, any of those? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment. YouTube, uh, Instagram, private channel, no. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll tell you, it's um, yeah, it is an interesting. What do you think of the publishing world now that it's so so open? Um, there's so many small publishers and self-publishing and and all this stuff going on. Do you, do you think it's made it better, or do you, do you worry about it a little bit?
2: I think, um, it's probably in terms of the ratio of good to bad fiction, I would imagine it's probably the same as always. There's just a lot more of all of it. So there's a lot more bad stuff, but I think there's a lot more good stuff too. Um, that's able to get out there through those avenues. Um, yeah. Yeah. i thankfully I've, I've recently, uh, signed on with an agent and that has been really helpful because she's able to help me navigate that world. Um, sometimes it's hard to find your way through it and determine where the right homes are for your work and things like that. I know it took me a while with shelter for the damned to find the right home for that book, but I'm so glad I finally did. Journal Stone has been great to work with.
5: Yeah. And that's, I think that's the, the trick to it all. It's, it is finding the right place. Um, to put your work out and with the right audience, you know, that's usually the, the tough thing because there's so much out there now and there's no, no real gatekeepers or regulation to any of it. So it's all over the place.
2: Yeah. Self-publishing is a strange world too. I mean, I don't, I don't really know a lot about it. It's not a world I've ever dipped my toes in, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so much out there. And, and as a reader too, that can be overwhelming. I try my best to keep up to some degree with new short with new dark fiction and horror fiction but i'm also always trying to catch up with the classics so it's a lot of material
5: and it's tough because as you get older the the hunger gets different right it's it's no longer the same as it was when you were first getting published
2: right yeah absolutely
5: you know it it becomes different and I, i think anyway i think that the writing grows you become better and uh your goals change um and you know self publishing's fine i think it's I, but i think it should only be done from someone that has been published right you know it, you know because then they understand they've got to have it edited properly and and they understand the work involved to put out a good book
2: yeah i mean i've read some fantastic self-published stuff i've read some not so fantastic self-published stuff um i don't know it's it seems yeah it's it, it's it's a world i don't like i said i haven't explored personally but I've, I've, i ha- i have read some self-published books that are better than some of the things being published through quote-unquote legitimate vendors so
5: yeah i don't know yeah well yeah because the, the idea the story and the writing can be good and it's getting the book out there. It just, I, I guess it, it just all depends on how serious the writer takes it and how, how important it is for them to, you know, do a good piece and, and make sure everything's done correctly and stuff. And, you know, do you have a problem with that itself is in, how do I say, finishing the book? Like when you have completed it so to speak, but you go back and you kind of go, well, maybe I should change that or add this and do that. Do you have a a point where you just have to say that's enough?
2: Yeah, I think we all have to arrive at that point eventually, because I think most writers, if they didn't, they would just never publish anything. (laughs) So (laughs) I usually have, you know, a few trusted readers who I ask to look at my work and offer suggestions And I try to ask readers who um, tend to work within very different genres so that I'm getting um, a multitude of perspectives. With the novel, especially though, with Shelter for the Damned, man, it was a long, long road, especially since I didn't pre-plan. Actually, the first draft of the novel was written kind of like an epic prose poem. I, I, I was too liberally inspired by the aforementioned Hubert Selby Jr. So I didn't use any punctuation aside from commas and slashes. And I had these concrete poetry sections where I would build the uh, focal shack out of commas and slashes. And I had a, a really helpful writing mentor who I did a directed writings course with. And thankfully, he strongly encouraged me to rewrite the book in a more conventional aka a more readable and maybe if i was lucky a publishable
5: book <laughs> um,
2: so yeah it was it's changed a lot from its original form
5: yeah well you know but those trusted readers you got to let them out of the basement <laughs> 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 they're, they're never going to tell you anything's bad if they're they're down there you know that's right yeah
2: yeah <laughs> or at least give them some water or bread <laughs> yeah
5: yeah why are we driving into the woods let me go
2: yeah, exactly. I really should give them more water, it's
5: <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, that's the life of horror, you know, um, what can I say? Um, did you ever think of changing to a different style a different type of writing other like comedy? Uh, Sir, <laughs> sure, yeah. Does, does um, that interest you at all?
2: I mean, I think a lot of my stuff is kind of funny. I don't know if other people would, would feel that way, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I'll, I'll go wherever my um, wherever my creative, I don't know if you want to call it a muse, takes me. Um, and so far, my muse tends to lead me into the dark corners. So that's fine. You know, I love the genre. I'm honored to be a part of it. I feel like I'm still a student of the genre. I feel like I'll always have a lot to learn about horror. So as long as I'm here, I'm happy. And if I, if I find myself elsewhere... That's cool too.
5: Yeah, you'd be writing musicals soon. <laughs> sure, why not?
2: Why not? I don't have much of an ear, though, uh, and I feel like I would have to do some singing while I was writing. I, I also don't have a good sense of pitch. Um...
5: <laughs> well, you know, get some of the people in the basement. To... <laughs> I'm sure there's some yeah thing that's thing. Right.
3: vocal coach down there. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. There's...
5: If not, find one. It's not that hard, right? I mean, you know. I, it's it's pretty interesting anyway. It's it's a great world, and um, so shelter for the damned. Uh, where is that found? Is that just in Amazon, or do you have it in bookstores now? Or is it all available anywhere?
2: Yeah, shelter for the damned is available directly through the publisher, Journalstone. You can also get it on Amazon or through Walmart or through Barnes and Noble. Um, so it's it's around.
5: Well, it would be if it's in Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, It's fantastic to talk to a good writer. Um, Your latest book, Shelter for the Damned, available now. It's going to be on our website as well, so people listening can pick it up with one click. We'll have uh, the um, guest author, Mike Thorne. We're going to have his uh, website up as well. And... and, uh, you know, Tinder, YouTube, whatever we can find. Uh, well, thank you for being here, Mike.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was it was a lot of fun chatting with you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys.
0: We interrupt our programming. This is a national emergency. Important details will follow.
1: Are you prepared? Legacy food storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Go now to LegacyFoodStorage.com. Use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off. Quick, go!
0: You're listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show.
1: History. Crime. Conspiracy and paranormal mysteries.
5: Next up, we've got another Canadian today um, that is into horror, and uh, so so we'll bring him right on, Ron McGilvery. Thank you for being here.
4: Thanks for having me. I Appreciate
5: it. Now, Ron, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like you, so you've written some short stories, and it looks like you've done a film, and you've got other projects coming out. Um, how did you get into horror? Um.
4: I guess, uh, probably like a lot of people, it's uh, Scooby-Doo was was my, when I was a child, you know, watching that. I remember, you know, I so desperately wanted to be part of that Scooby-Doo gang, and I would started, even back then, writing little Scooby-Doo stories, and I just put myself right in there
5: with them. Like, do you build off of a, an idea? Is that kind of how you do it?
4: My, yeah, I, for me theme throughout all my stories always what if. If My mind's always working that way. I I see something what if that happened? And then I always basically place myself in it and then most of my characters are all people that I know or I've seen or bumped in and I basically once I have the plot idea, the characters, I have them pictured as people that I know or uh, have met and those characters then just kind of take a mind of their own. And then they just kind of move the story along.
5: Wow. So you've been doing short stories and do you ever plan on kind of doing a full book or is this sort of, do you like doing a short story better?
4: Uh, I like doing short stories um, probably because I have a short attention span. Uh, I am working on a, a novel as well. Uh, it's about 75,000 words in right now, but it just keeps being sort of pushed back as other projects kind of pop in, but uh, it's, a, it's horror as well, but sort of a, a strange horror. It's uh, the structure is different. Um, the, the characters are a bit different. It's, there's a whole mythos behind this one where generally my stories are, I have a what if idea and it's pretty focused this one's um, uh, a lot broader in scope, <clears throat> but um, as I mentioned, it's it keeps – I always find the reason I sort of push it off, but I've managed to, over time, get up to 75,000 words. So,
3: Now, um, I see that you, you've you been uh, running some 5Ks or walking some 5Ks. Do you find that exercise helps with your creative process? I know it does for me because I, I do, like, martial arts in between and stuff like that to uh, get the blood flowing, but uh, how does it work for you? Yeah, it, uh, it clears my mind.
4: It's, uh, it gives me, you know, time to uh, to think as well. Um, when I go out, it just kind of, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a reset almost. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of my, uh, the exercise and stuff came because I uh, unfortunately had a few health issues. So uh, uh, it was kind of forced on me. But, you know, after a while, it's, it's gotten to a point where, you almost get addicted to it, and now I feel guilty if I don't do
5: my workouts. What do you want people to get out of your your stories when you read them, or or films? Like you've got a little film, and you turn some more. Um, what do you want people to take away from it?
4: For me, it's just
5: uh, to be entertained to uh, for whatever length
4: it is, just to uh, to uh, you know for to escape and uh, you know enjoy the story. I don't have, um, you know, really deep themes. Uh, there's not a lot of depth to me. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I just, it's, it's purely for entertainment purposes. It's, uh, you know, just to, uh, to get away from real life, to get away from COVID. Hopefully they, uh, you know, enjoy the story.
3: You've uh, stated that uh, writing horror is somewhat like uh, stand-up comedy. I yeah. guess you're talking about the structure. Um, uh, how so? Uh, it's, it's basically, it, it's the
4: same setup. You know, you have the, the setup. Uh, it, it could be, you know, for the in a, a joke. There's the setup and then there's a punchline. With horror, it's the same thing. It's, you know, there's the setup and then the punchline, except there's a good chance that punchline's going to kill you.
3: Now, you also, you had a film um, that was, um, that, that shocked me. Uh, that was uh, shown on uh was it the shock lines um oh, the film, film festival?
4: festival yeah i was at the world uh, horror convention as well
3: that's great did you did you used to hang out at the old shock lines horror message board yeah yeah i
4: that's was great. Uh, i did too I, yeah i was uh i was there a lot and uh, uh you know i participated and i was writing i was on a i was get, actually getting a lot of traction until about uh, 2007, and just about when the film came out, and I was starting to, you know, get my name out there, and then uh, uh, the 2008 uh, economic crash hit. So it was a it was Absolutely. a bit of setback. It uh, kind of uh, hurt the production company, uh, getting money for uh, future films. Uh, uh, there was uh, well with the economy, where I worked, uh, a bunch of us lost our jobs. So. It was, it was a real setback at the time.
3: Do you think online networking for writers is better now or worse since message boards have kind of, like shock lines, have uh, given way to social media? That's a good question. Um, you know, just starting
4: out again, I found with the message boards, it was a lot more concentrated, you know, with, among horror people. So it was a lot more focused. So uh, where with Facebook or Twitter, I found it's uh, a lot uh, broader base, which I guess is good in a, a sense because you can attract other people. But uh, I can't count how many people have offered me great uh, financial uh, opportunities uh, through Bitcoin or be it uh, being a prince of Nigeria, uh, <laughs> lots of. Uh, Lots of uh, women who seem to uh, just want me desperately to join their, uh, uh, see all the videos that they post on their uh, <laughs> private things. I was, I was overwhelmed with how popular I'd become uh, until, of course, uh, the has wiped out my computer and I had to get another one. Now I don't really follow them anymore.
3: <laughs>
4: but to answer your question, it's, uh, I guess, it depends what you want. I mean, the Facebook is so vast now. And I, I find interacting, you know, you can message other authors, um, you know, follow what they're doing, um, you know, see what they're doing, where um, if it wasn't for sort of the, the extra noise in the background, um, I, I think it's, it's the new stuff's really good. As I said, it's all new to me. But uh, the old message boards, you know, if you just wanted to do horror, It was, you know, you knew where to go, and it was strictly that. There was no sort of noise in the background about anything else.
3: But I I enjoyed it. Definitely. I think you could kind of pinpoint more on the old message boards. Yeah. Would you encourage, especially new writers, to um, network?
4: Yeah, I would say network. I mean, if I was going to talk to mean, I'd say, you know, engage with – as many people as you can find out, uh, you know, what they're doing. You'll follow along, gives you opportunity to, you know, pick up stuff you would never have read before. Um, not just with the Facebook, but I find through Facebook, they they post a lot of um, podcasts such as uh, this one, uh, interviews they do, uh, different things on YouTube. Uh, the interviews that people do, I mean, I've l- listened to several of uh, the ones here on um, House of Mystery. And you, you can learn so much where back in the day, reading a forum was pretty limited. But, you know, with YouTube and podcasts, I mean, you can sit down, listen to an hour and learn like a, a master class on uh, different topics. Absolutely.
5: What's good horror for you? What do you consider really good horror? For me,
4: I'm always looking for uh, something. Uh, original, something that catches uh, my eye. Um, I, I, I pretty well will read anything uh, most genres, but um, I, I tend to, I guess, go more towards um, stories maybe that are like uh, Twilight Zone-ish maybe. I like it. It's, it's more about the story than me. I, I mean, I can be more forgiving even with, uh, you know, with a lot of you know, newer writers that are out with, uh, you know, there's some typos or whatever. I'm totally, I can forgive all that if the is really good and it moves along. I like a story that uh, just can, you know, take me away kind of thing. I don't want, to, uh, uh, well, I call it a yawn yarn, where it just kind of goes on and on and goes nowhere.
5: So King Kong versus Godzilla. Have you seen have you seen the new one? Do you like it or not?
4: I I was actually going to watch it this weekend and I went on to uh, Rogers to look at it and they were offering it at the uh, the great deal of like $26.99. And I said, well, I guess I'll wait till it comes out on
5: Netflix. Yeah. Well, uh, it uh, would it would it be worth it, Dave? Uh, no. <laughs> he, he's, he's one of those. But your mileage <laughs> may vary. He's one of yeah. those that bought it. So, you know, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it, so it's not that good, really, right?
3: <laughs> No. No, I, I didn't like it very much. I thought that there just wasn't enough story. Oh, really? But some people just love, you know, just watching two huge monsters just battle it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, It's funny because I think I
4: posted something. A while back on my Facebook page, where I had actually I watched one of the old Godzilla's <clears throat> as well as a, a King Kong movie, a double feature that night to prep for this kind of movie. <laughs> and uh, maybe if it had been like uh, Zack Snyder's, uh, you know, four and a half hour King Kong <laughs> versus Godzilla, maybe I would have sprung for the twenty some dollars. But yeah, I looked at it, it was like I think under two hours, and I am like, yeah, I'm not going to spend that money for it.
5: Yeah, it's hard. Well, and, and so story's more important to you than than, than the uh, the gore itself, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't mind, you know, slasher stuff and uh, splatterpunk. All, but yeah, I'm not the, even with my stories. I mean, there's gore and stuff, but it's not uh, it's not really prevalent. It's it's mostly about the uh, sort of the tension build. I mean, stuff happens throughout. I'm I'm a lot uh, sort of uh, action-oriented where stuff's going on. A lot of my stories uh, have uh, a lot of dialogue between characters as well, probably from my uh, script writing background. Um, But, yeah, it's – I mean, I have no, no problem with gore. It's just that's not why I read it. I mean, I've been following horror for so long now that it doesn't really impress me. Like, gore, I've seen it. I've done it all. Um, it's even like horror. I find it more for, it's the thrill now. It's not like anything is going to scare me. My wife always mentions to me where, you know, she'll try to come up, I'll be doing the dishes and have my music on and she'll try to come up and like grab your shoulder, scare you. And I don't. she goes, why don't you ever jump? And I said, I don't know. I said, it takes more than that to scare me. I said, I, I've seen it all. So, but it's, if the story's a, like a thrilling story and it just, it's moving along at a good pace and you're going Like Alfred Hitchcock, you know, he said, you know, if you put a bomb under a table and you let the viewers see it and the, but the two people who sit down at the table, uh, don't know it's there, but the audience, you're just sweating it going. Is one of them going to get up? You know, are they going to blow up? It's that, that really intrigues me the most more. So than the bomb blowing up and uh, watching their heads splatter against the wall, which is all fun, Of course. Yeah, of
5: course. And you'd be careful with the wife next time. She might come up with a knife. (laughs)
4: Trying yeah, try to outdo herself. Yeah. <laughs> How's this? <laughs> this is funny. <laughs>
5: this will make you a jump. <laughs> Boy, that's terrible. Um, now, okay, so you, ha- you have a website, right? Um, maybe give out your website and all that so uh, people that want to look you up and find out more about you can find you. Sure. It's
4: uh, Ronald RonaldMcGilvery, uh,
5: my name, uh,
4: dot .com. And yeah. it's the same on Facebook or Twitter.
5: Great. We're going to have that up on our website as well. So did, did the, does the COVID affect what your, your production and what you're doing now, or is it kind of okay?
4: Uh, it's okay right now because we actually got most of uh, our, uh, you know, scouting done and everything beforehand and uh, the director and, uh, and I sort of hash stuff out. Now it's, a lot of it, everything we can do over Zoom. Now, of course, shooting at a whole different uh, ball game. So, but we were aiming for, you know, the end of April, beginning of May. So unless something else really terrible happens, then, uh, you know, it should go as planned, but uh, these days you can never quite tell. But Zoom is very handy doing the uh, script readings and stuff like that.
5: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, our, our guest has been Ronald McGilvery. Thank you for being here, Ron. I appreciate it.
4: Thanks, Ron. Thanks. Have a great night.
1: To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM.
0: Are you ready to change your life but don't know how to start? Is your stress and worries keeping you awake at night? Have you been battling grief, anxiety, or depression all alone? Have you lost touch with your own sense of being or spirituality? Soul Free Therapies offers professional and affordable live video